Today's reading will come from Luke chapter 1, verses 46 through 49. That can be found on page 904 in the Pew Bible. Again, that is Luke chapter 1, verses 46 through 49. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. For he has regarded the lowly state of his maidservant. For behold, henceforth all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. Good morning. It is good to see each of you. If you're a guest, again, we welcome you. It does encourage us that you're here, and we do want to be an encouragement to you. We think about several great things that's just around the corner, and we want to remind you that if you're a member here, it's time to register for Vacation Bible School. If you have children in your family, and there's been a link sent out to you, and this is just a reminder to go ahead and jump on that link that's been sent out and register. And then just in a short time, there will also be advertisements even out to the community, and we'll have the registration on our home web site and uh, everybody is encouraged to register then. We also want to remind you that even closer just around the corner is our summer camp. And it's time to register for summer camp also. And you can register there at the Western Kentucky Christian Camp website. And, and this is just an announcement to remind you of those things. And if you're hearing this announcement and saying, I don't know about those things, please ask. We want to tell you about wonderful opportunities that youth have here to grow spiritually in amazing ways uh, over the next couple of months. And so be sure and learn more if you do not know about those. God is good to us in the many resources and opportunities that he gives us. Also, a big congratulations Congratulations to our graduates. Our Mount Juliet preschool had graduation here Thursday night and Friday night, as well as a closing program for the year, and it was tremendous. We love and appreciate our children, and we congratulate you on your graduation. Several of our college age have graduated. I guess they're not college age anymore. They've already graduated. But uh, congratulations to you also. We will be honoring tonight our seniors of this congregation that are graduating from high school. And so our senior uh, young men will be leading the worship service and then uh, we'll honor those graduates after services tonight with the largest graduating class that we've ever had as a congregation. And as already mentioned today, a big happy Mother's Day to each of you mothers. You know, there's just something very special about mothers. I saw this the other day. Did you ever notice that mom spelled upside down is wow? That's pretty neat, isn't it? Uh, I'll share with you just a, a short story that, that I read. And some of you probably heard this, but it just kind of reminds us how we ought to love and appreciate our moms. Uh, a young mother, she's kind of frazzled. She's got her children that look young when she's trying to look after and she gets a phone call and her mother says, hey, honey, I know you're frazzled. Listen, I'm going to come by and get the kids. I've set up an appointment for you at a spa. You go enjoy the afternoon and I'll take care of the kids. And I call George and he's going to pick you up from work after he gets off work and, and you, uh, you're going to go to an Italian restaurant and uh, listen, I'll have the kids home about bedtime. And the mother just sounded so relieved and she said, but hey, who's George? She says, well, honey, that's, that's your husband. She said, no, my husband is Tom. And the woman said, well, your number is 365-1213, right? 
And the young mother said, no, my number is 365-1212. And the other one said, I'm sorry, I have the wrong number. To which the other lady says, does this mean you're not coming over? <laughs> hey, be good, be good to mamas. Uh, they have been very good to us as a rule of thumb and we love and appreciate them. And we hope that today is a day that does give honor uh, to our mothers. When we think about marvels, this year we have been thinking about the marvelous works of God that help us see God better. Ultimately, it's not that we want to just marvel in the works. We want to marvel in God. And remember at the beginning of the year, we looked at CNN's report where they listed seven of the greatest natural wonders of the world. The Grand Canyon, the Great Barrier Reef, the harbor at Rio de Janeiro, Mount Everest, Northern Lights, Parasutan Volcano, the Victoria Falls. All of these are things that it would be very easy to stand at them and marvel. But we've been urging ourselves this year to say, who did this? Shouldn't we marvel even more at a God who is powerful enough to make those things? And then we spent a lot of time early this year saying, what would God marvel at? What would God say, hey, I don't want you to forget this. When you see this, you're going to see a little bit about really how powerful I am. And the one reoccurring story, but then in that story, the one reoccurring event, Old Testament and New Testament, is the crossing of the Red Sea. There's something amazing about that because God continually mentions it as a marvel. Something that we ought to see. You remember the greater story is that the Israelites are freed from Egyptian slavery and now they go to a land of promise, a land of rest, a land of freedom. And so the story carries a lot of spiritual symbolism that through Jesus we can be delivered from slavery and we can come into Christ and have a, a, a land, if you will, in Christ, a kingdom in Christ of which we're free of sin. But this particular occasion is the marvel over and over. But I want to pause now and ask you this. Even though that's mentioned in the New Testament a few times, if you're going to look just in the New Testament, what would be considered one of the greatest marvels by God in the New Testament? The incarnation is definitely one of the greatest marvelous works that we have ever seen. That we see it fulfilled in the New Testament and then we see the effect that it had upon believers. And today, I hope we already marvel in this, but I hope it reminds us and that we all leave here a little more amazed at who Jesus Christ really is. In the Gospel of John, it begins by calling Jesus the Word. And it describes Jesus as being God. And it describes Him as being the light, of being a creator. It describes Him as being the one that through Him we have the right to be called the children of God. What a statement. But then we come down to verse 14. And in John 1 and 14, the old translations actually put this highlighted part that I have here in parentheses. And, and it's neither good or bad that it's not in a lot of translations today. But I just want you to notice, if you do put that in parentheses, there's really an interesting 
fact that leaps off the page. And that is there's three descriptions about God coming to this earth, Jesus Christ, and John 1 and 14. Notice the first, the Word became flesh, incarnation, that's amazing. Number two, and dwelt among us. Before He became flesh, He dwelt among the Father in heaven. When He became flesh, He tabernacled or He dwelt among us. And then skip to the end. If God became flesh and dwelt among us, what are we going to see? We're going to see the fullness of grace, the fullness of truth. Mankind had never seen that measure of grace and, and, and truth embodied before. And so it's almost as if John is giving a, an academic exercise, telling us all of these beautiful facts about Jesus coming to this earth. But then he burst out in this parenthetical phrase with the personal pronoun we. It's almost as if he couldn't hold it any longer. In other words, it's almost as if he was saying, I marvel at this and I want you to marvel at this. And so now let's read this. He's saying, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And here it is. And we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father. We were there. We saw him. We touched him. We heard him. We walked with him. And we're talking about a glory, not like you look at a human being and you say, wow, that, that's, that's really a glorious thing that he's doing. He says, this is the glory that only one from God can do. Years later, Paul would also write about the very same fact of incarnation and he would rank it in the sense of a descriptive term. You remember when he wrote in 1 Timothy, the third chapter in verse 16, he said, let me tell you something that is without controversy. Great is the mystery of godliness. Now, pause at that word great there. Great is the mystery of godliness. If God calls something great, you can rest assured it's great because God never misuses words. We might exaggerate sometime. We might choose the wrong descriptive term sometime. God does not. God says, I want to show you something great here. And he gives six phrases to describe the incarnation and what God accomplished. And even as he ascended back, the promise that he's coming again. And of these six, notice where he begins. This greatness about the mystery, that that was unknown, that became known to us about godliness is what? Number one, God was manifested in the flesh. God became a human being. That is something in which we ought to marvel. We saw briefly how John began his gospel. Mark would do so in kind of a similar way, but Matthew and Luke decide to do theirs a little bit differently. They decide to spend more time on the story, the story of God becoming flesh. And so when we look in the gospel of Luke, we read about a woman named Mary. And perhaps the bar of motherhood that already had been very high since the beginning of creation, God had always esteemed motherhood. So I'm not saying it was some lowly description that needed elevated. I'm just saying if there's ever been an elevation of motherhood, of all the ways that God chose to come to this earth, he chose to come to this earth through a mother. And so when we look in Luke, the first chapter, and already out of this chapter, we've had Scripture capably read this morning. I'd like to back you up just a paragraph or two before the text that was read that 
of course, leads up to that text. Look, if you will, at verse 26, and then you'll notice verse 38 ends that paragraph, and the bookends of that paragraph is about the movement of an angel. In other words, there's this angel named Gabriel that was sent by God, and this angel was to give a message and then we see at the end of this paragraph 38, we see that the angel departs. And so this paragraph is all about a message that God wanted Mary to hear. Notice this as we read verse 26 and 27. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. So we see the messenger, where did he go? Well, you know, we've already talked about what the rest of this story is going to be. And so if you would have been a Jew in that day and time and you would have known what the rest of this story was going to be, you'd probably said, I wonder if he went to the wrong place. Shouldn't that be in Jerusalem? Shouldn't that be in Judea? Shouldn't that be in the holy city? You're telling me something this grand is going to come from Galilee? And, and of all towns, a Galilean town like Nazareth? Remember, Nathaniel was just from a, a next door town. It wasn't like he was a Judea, from Judea. He was just from a next door town. And years later, when he was being introduced about Jesus, you remember his response? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? This just wasn't the place that whether you're from Galilee or Judea, you just don't expect something like this to happen there. And, and what, was, what was the message? Well, the message was given to this woman named Mary, a young woman that had kept herself pure. She was a virgin, but she had already committed herself in marriage kind of like what we think of an engagement, except probably a little more formal, a little more commitment involved in it. In other words, I'm about to be married to Joseph. And now the messenger comes and gives her a message that there's no way that she was expecting this message to come. And so when we read in, in 28, we see that the angel is saying in other words, hey, I've got good news for you. He begins in 28, and having come, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. I've got good news for you, Mary. I'm about to tell you something that is really exciting. You ought to really rejoice about this. Also, I've got something for you, Mary, that in this good news, it gets really personal with you. Oh, it's good news to the whole world, but it's really personal good news to you. Your Savior is going to be born, but you're going to be the one. You are the one that's highly favored. You are the one that has been chosen by God. In other words, it's an honored position, if you will. God has looked and he has chosen you. It's a compliment. You're highly favored. But notice her response in 29. When she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and considered what manner of greeting this was. That word troubled literally means to, to agitate or it can mean to alarm. In other words, he has come saying, I've got really good news for you. And her reaction, internal, maybe external, nonverbal, her reaction is a little bit agitated at it, alarmed at it. And so he responds to her response. Notice as we read verse 30, the angel said to her, do not be afraid. 
In other words, can't, can't you imagine Gabriel, a loving angel? Can't you imagine? Oh, well, I didn't mean, I didn't mean to set alarm off in you. I didn't mean to make you fearful. I didn't mean to agitate your day so that you begin this day saying it's a great day and you end this day saying it's a horrible day. That's not what this is about. I'm not here to, to give you something negative. I'm here to give you something beautiful. And so notice he goes into a, a prophetic description of why this isn't going to be negative. Let me tell you why I'm here in other words. And, and look, he reminds her again after he says, do not be afraid, Mary, you have found favor with God. And now here's the message. You will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. She's not married yet, but she's already being told that she's going to conceive. And in a day and time where no one can know the gender of a baby before it was born, she's being told the gender of the baby before she's conceived. And then most young mothers, wouldn't you expect, would want to name their own baby. And so now you're telling me my firstborn, I don't name it? You're going to name my firstborn? And so you can try, we can attempt, I, I can't do it with accuracy, but, but I, I read this story and I try to think, what was Mary feeling? Can you imagine all the things that would have been running through her mind about just the reality of, of the scope of what's being said, but also the personal nature? Wouldn't it be acceptable for us to think, maybe she's thinking, I, I didn't plan on it this way. That's not exactly the way I envisioned. You know, I've been making plans for the future. This is the man I'm going to marry. This is where we're going to live. But now this angel interrupts. And if it stopped right there, she might have still gone to bed that night agitated. But for the theme of this year, and then as it pertains to this study of incarnation, I want you to love. If you underline in your Bible, I want you to underline some of the phrases in the next verse as the angel in a sense says, I'm going to go on and I'm going to tell you a few more things that it ought to take the troubledness away from you because there's some really amazing things coming. Look at verse 32. He will be great. Can I say it one more time? God doesn't misuse terms. When God sent an angel to give a message and that messenger said to Mary, let me tell you about this son named Jesus that you're going to give birth to. He will be great. I don't know how much of this she could understand at that very moment, but listen to this next expressions or these next phrases, if you will, and will be called the son of the highest. Mary, he's going to be called the son of Mary, but he's also going to be called the son of God. And the Lord God will give him the throne of the father David among the Jews, the Hebrew nation. There had never been another throne like David's. The closest is Solomon's, but right after Solomon's death, it divided. The kingdom was over. They longed for, for a nation like that again. And now you're telling me the one I'm going to give birth to is going to be so great. He's going to have power 
an influence on a nation, our nation, like David? Oh, and, and the, the covenant that was made with your people. He's the fulfillment of it, Mary. Look at the 33. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. We're going back to the patriarchs. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, that covenant that was made. And then notice this next line. And of the kingdom, there will be no end. You're telling me he's going to reign over a kingdom that has no end? That sounds like Daniel language of prophecy, doesn't it? Hold your finger here and turn back to Daniel, the second chapter, and let's read verse 44. Daniel, the second chapter, verse 44, and think about why it is that the angel said, I'm going to tell you how great he is. And this is a part of the reasoning of why he is so great. And Daniel 2 and 44, you remember that Nebuchadnezzar's had this dream and, and Daniel is going to, by God's power, uh, interpret the dream. And in this, he's going to have prophecy of the rising and falling of world powers for many, many centuries to come. And so he says in Daniel 2 and 44, and in the days of these kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed and the kingdom shall not be let to other people. It shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms and it shall stand forever. He has just prophesied of the fact that, that the Babylons will rise in power, but, but they'll fall. And the Persians will rise in power, but they'll fall. And, and Greece will rise in power and they'll fall. And Rome will rise in power. And while it and those kings, those emperors are in power, there's going to raise up another kingdom that when Rome falls, this kingdom will still be strong. And you name other, every other nationality that has risen in power, but yet they have fallen. And this kingdom still, 2,000 years, is still remaining strong. And it doesn't matter how long it is until Jesus comes again. Every earthly kingdom will have a rise and a fall in power. But this kingdom will never, will never fall. What is this kingdom? It's Christ's kingdom. That's how powerful he is as a king. No one can defeat him. We just decide if we want to be on his side or not. But this kingdom shall never cease. That's great. In the midst of all these great teachings, surely we all can be sympathetic with this. Mary is hung up on just one more detail here. It makes sense, doesn't it? You remember in Luke 1 and 34, Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I do not know a man? In other words, the method of this is really confusing me. No, she didn't say, I don't believe your message. She's just saying, I don't understand the method. You know that I'm a virgin and you're saying I'm going to bear a child. And the angel must think that that's a worthy question. And so the angel explains, 35, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also that the Holy One who is born will be called the Son of God. What a marvelous work. A virgin is going to give birth. Never before or after has a woman given birth without the contribution of a man. 
As a matter of fact, that was one of the marks or the signs that was a prophetically said that was fulfilled in the coming of the Messiah. You remember in Isaiah the seventh chapter in verse 14 said, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin will conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. You remember Emmanuel means God with us. The humanity his mother was a human. His father was God. He was complete human. He was completely God. And incarnation is mind boggling. And so the angel describes in 1 and 36 of Luke that her relative Elizabeth is also, even though she's far past the childbearing years and she had been barren throughout her childbearing years, that now she's going to have a child too. And you remember this is the child that we call John the Baptist. But notice the description in 37 that the angel gave about these announcements that he was making to Mary. For with God, nothing will be impossible. In other words... The angel is saying, marvel at that. God can do far more than what humans can do. God is not imprisoned in the laws of nature. God can do marvelous things. And so she decides to go and visit Elizabeth who lives down in a city in Judea. And she spends some time with her. And in the midst of that, which is the next paragraph in your Bible, I'd like for us to pull out a verse right in the middle of what Elizabeth says to her in Luke 1 and 43. She says, but why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? You see what Elizabeth says about the baby that is in the womb of Mary reinforces what the angel had already told her. This one is going to be our Lord. What an amazing statement. And so after spending some time talking with Elizabeth, she burst out in, in what we sometimes call a song. I don't know if she sung it. Perhaps it was just words, but it sounds so poetic. And so many of these, the, the roots of these phrases come out of Psalms. So much of this also sounds like Hannah's words of rejoicing back in the Old Testament when she was barren and longed for a child and prayed and God gave her a child, Samuel. And when she took the child back to the temple and she, she gave the child as a young age into God's service, her song or her words of praise to God, Mary seems to echo some of those same powerful sentiments. And what I want you to notice as we spend just a few moments, we're about to wrap this up, but I want you to notice she doesn't just camp out by saying, thank you, God, for giving me a child. Her words express how great she understands God to be. Let that sink in. When we marvel at the works of God and we fail to marvel at God, we're missing an important aspect of our spiritual life. You and I ought to know God. You and I ought to love God. We shouldn't just know his works and just love his works, but we ought to know and love him. 
How many of you parents would be glad if all your children appreciated was what you did for them? At some point you get frustrated and either you'd say it out loud or you'd think it in your heart and you somewhere you'd say, why don't you appreciate me? I'm the one that's providing this. Why is it all you see is my gifts? Brethren, my prayer, my plea to all of us this year is that for the rest of our lives, we'll never do that. For the rest of our lives, we will love God. We will pray in genuine thanksgiving to God. And with all of the blessings God gives us, we won't worship the blessings. We'll worship God. And by the time Mary says this, she has started to grasp to some degree what is taking place in her life. And I want us to close this lesson by just noticing the praise that she has towards God. We've already sung some of these lines this morning. Look in Luke, the first chapter, verse 46 and 47. Mary said... My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit has rejoiced in God, my Savior. Remember, that's what she was supposed to do. The angel said rejoice. Even Elizabeth spoke terms of rejoicing. And now she says, I do rejoice in God. My soul magnifies God. This week, will you go out and live in such a way that God will be magnified somewhere at your workplace, someone in your community, someone in your family is going to know God better because of you? Will you magnify the Lord? This week, will you, have, will you have an appreciation? Will you have a peace? Will you have a joy about you? That if somebody said, why? It, does, it doesn't seem to matter what happens in your life. You have this optimistic hope about you. What is it? I rejoice in God, my Savior. What would cause someone to magnify the Lord? What would cause someone to rejoice in God? Well, notice on these next lines, we're going to skip 48 right now and look at verse 49. This is what she understood about God. He who is mighty has done great things for me. Back up one slide if you. Notice that in 49. Who, who is it? He who is mighty. He has the power. He's mighty. He has the power to do great things. Now notice this. He has done what? Great things. If you don't have the power, the might, you can't do great things. What are the great things? I was really surprised when I looked in 15 different translations. Not one translation translates this, the great things, magnificent. But yet that's really where we get the word magnificent. Who can do magnificent things? Not, not small, not medium, not large, not common, not above average. Who can do magnificent things? Things that we all should step back and marvel and say, look at that. Who can do that? God can. Mighty is his power. Look what he can do. That's where Mary is coming from. In this song, she's not camping out on the fact to say, look, a virgin is going to give birth. She's camping out on, look at God, the one who can do these. And so on the next slide is just an outline so you can take and study it if you want this week. And so the magnificent things that she says God has done in her past that she sees his greatness is his name is holy. 
And in 50, she talks about his mercy and how if people and nations that love him, he protects them. But then in 51, she talks about his strong arm that if a nation wants to rise up and be arrogant, God can scatter them. God can allow them to be destroyed. And then in 53, she talks about his faithfulness in 53 and 54. If you're hungry, God can provide for you. If you need God's service, God will serve you. In other words, if we were to ask Mary, why do you think God is so great? A part of the reasoning she would say is, his name's holy. He's never defiled us. He's never defiled himself. Holy is his name. His mercy is rich. His strength is great. His faithfulness is loyal, enduring. So what I learned today, I need to find greatness in what God says is great. Number two, Jesus' incarnation is great. Do I really believe that's great? Three, I want to see the great things that he has done so Mary's words of marvel can be echoed by me. Do you magnify the Lord? Do you rejoice in your Savior? I hope we all do. I hope we look at this mother, this mother that was the mother of God in flesh on this earth. But then see her faith. Mary, why do you think God is so great? And listen to her song. And if you're going to spend a few minutes this afternoon writing out why you thought God was so great, what would you put down? Can we help you move toward God? so that you can live a life rejoicing in God, so that you can live a life magnifying God. It's all by His grace, but also by His truth, John 1 and 14. And if you're ready to become a Christian this morning, be baptized into Christ for the remission of your sins, to devote and commit your life to the Lord, to allow Him to sanctify you, to, to move you out of the world and, and into Christ, what a blessing. Or maybe you've begun that journey and, and you haven't been magnifying God. Maybe you haven't been finding your joy and your hope in God and, and you, want to, you want to remove the sin out of your life by coming back to God and allowing His blood to forgive you. We'd love to pray with you and for you. If we can help you in any way, come as we stand as we sing.